Hi guys, so we're just editing the podcast now and I just wanted to say we're really sorry we haven't put out an episode for such a long time. We feel really bad about it and it's a ha- it has been sitting on my laptop for quite a few weeks now and I've been meaning to put it out but we were on Easter holidays so we couldn't really, we weren't together and I was moving house, Bella had lots of schoolwork to do so we just, we couldn't put it out on the time that we wished for but we finally are back together now so we're gonna we, we can finally put it out on saturday so we're really really excited and we also just wanted to announce that we are going to be taking a short break from the podcast just until our exams are over we're really sad about it i'm really sad about it i love this podcast so much it's like my favorite part of the week but we just need to be able to focus on our schoolwork for a little bit otherwise we'll end up with spreading ourselves too thinly and not doing any job well done so we are very excited to come back after our exams are over so we hope you enjoyed this episode hey guys welcome back to garrett girls i'm bella and i'm Elle. And in today's podcast, we're talking about intersectionality, colorism, and representation with our amazing friend, Jess. She's one of the most beautiful people inside (laughs) and out that we know. She's so passionate about intersectionality, about like intersectional feminism, colorism, race, representation. Um, what else? Like she, I just can't even like put her into words because she's so wise <laughs> and smart. And we just needed funny to get you kind. on. <laughs> like we just, yeah. we've been waiting. We've been had her on the list of guests since day one. We're so excited <laughs> to finally have her on. So yeah. welcome, Jess. Welcome. Oh my gosh, thanks, guys. I hope I live up to that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will, without a doubt. Definitely. So, how was your week? Wow, <laughs> it was great <laughs> up until last night when it was so stupid but I basically smashed my face into some air conditioning and broke my nose (laughs) (laughs) so yeah at least it's not like moved out of place yeah it's it's fine like it's the the only time you worry I knew that was your concern yeah I know I was like oh my god guys I think I broke my nose what if it never looks the same again (laughs) that was my number one um but yeah I'm not vain, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, how's yours, I had a pretty bad week, actually. It just, I mean, it wasn't as productive as I wanted to be. Had some other stuff going on. But, you know, we move. Hopefully next week or mm. this week will be better and I will just, yeah, my mood will improve. Hopefully. Yeah. How are you? I'm so stressed. <laughs> I have, like, bundles and piles of work to do. Like, it's just piling up because mm. I commit to too many things. I'm in the, the spring pre- spring production yeah. and I have like this question time with this MP on Friday and I have to like plan out all my questions because oh, yeah. I'm on a panel and then I have like so many essays to do and I've just like become Layla's like PA personal <laughs> assistant for this because we have like a, we're basically like having a big movement in our school in terms of like sexual misconduct mm-hmm. um, and we're like drafting letters and organizing workshops and stuff and I'm a pretty pretty organised gal, so <laughs> I'm basically keeping Layla on track with all of that stuff, so it's just a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. But excited to be on the podcast today for a little break. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, do we start off with... Jess, tell us about colourism. 
Okay, so... For any of those who don't know what it is. Um, I'm just going to throw the definition out there. So, colorism mm. is the prejudicial or preferential treatment of same-race people based solely on their colour, and that's Alice Walker's definition. Mm. And she's, like, the founder of colorism. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Um... <laughs> she started it yeah she like yeah no obviously it's always been around but there's not always been a name yeah to back out yeah Yeah. um so i guess we could just start with some examples of colorism Mm. so um colorism is something that affects everything so you know when when um if you're if you've got darker skin and you're going into a shop to buy some makeup and you can't find makeup in a tone for you because it's all for lighter skinned people, that is mm. colorism. Um, in music, when singers sing about wanting to go out with like a light skinned girl, that is colorism because mm, yeah. you're preferring someone darker, mm. uh, preferring someone lighter, sorry, over yeah. over someone darker. Mm. In TV and film, it's very rampant and it's, it's quite a difficult thing to deal with because I think it really affects um, a lot of women because it can take so much confidence away to kind of be made to feel like by society like you should be that you should be lighter and that you Mm. should be you know something that you're not and I I think it's just terrible because we should be celebrating our differences Mm. but instead it just feels like we're always trying to like we've got this tunnel vision towards this Eurocentric kind of mm-hmm. Western woman, okay. which for for black women is just completely unattainable, mm. and it's I don't know it's really sad, um, I think, and um, for me like I once had someone like come up to me at school and go ew black girl and what? At, yeah really? I know at Are the they, time at school no not at this school oh this was God. like. Um, I, I won't say what school it is because like <laughs> I've I've enjoyed Hashtag all my schools and it was like one small comment of a boy who thought he was super cool who wasn't so but like <laughs> the worst thing was about it though, at the time when it was said I literally just took it I was like oh yeah and like now looking back I'm like mm, no not ooh thank you very much I like to yeah. celebrate the fact that I am a mixed race person yeah. Um, but yeah I just I think it's quite the fact, like, the, the thing is about that incident, that the reason I brought it up is just the fact that at the time I kind of reacted like, oh, I'm upset, but I'm not surprised. Like, I kind of, I was expecting that kind of, mm. I don't know. It was, it's just, like, so ingrained in society that I feel like, I feel like black women, um, well, black people, or people who aren't white even, have to work hard to have a positive image of yourself. Yeah. So, That's like... So that you're constantly being hit with these these impossible beauty standards and this this lighter skinned person who you can't achieve and it's not just that it's also in personalities and stuff mm. yeah so like there's constantly this bad press about non-white well I don't like the term non-white actually but people who BAME yeah black yeah BAME people thank you <laughs> <laughs> there's constantly this narrative for BAME people um, that you're like that are negative. There's constantly this negative, yeah, negative, like negative. Twice as hard to earn. Yeah. So every time you open the newspaper, whenever you see um, a story about someone from the Black, Asian, or minority ethnic community, nine times out of ten it's negative. And I think that that makes a really big impact on you because then you have to look into yourself and be like, I am a good person. Mm. And it's harder to feel good about yourself. Yeah. I really want to like delve deep into all of like those things that you've mentioned. 
Um, so I did some research about like how colorism started. Sorry, sorry if you can hear my chair moving around. <laughs> um, just readjusting my seat. Editing <laughs> fellow's gonna be stressing there. <laughs> um, so like it started like it literally dates back so long, but during the transatlantic slave trade, mm-hmm. when slave owners would rape their female slaves, it resulted in children with lighter complexions, and like with this change in the complexions of the slaves that they owned, like came a change in how they treated the slaves. So slaves with lighter skin were given preferential treatment because they were often related to the slave owners, although they weren't allowed to own any land or money from their white fathers. Um, and they were given like domestic work, such as sewing, cleaning, cooking, looking after the children, whilst the darker-skinned um, slaves still had to work outside in the fields. And like after the Civil War, they still had the one-drop rule, for example, which was that if you st- if you had one quote unquote drop of black in your in you, you were still considered and treated as a black person, um, and that resulted in like there was loads of segregation within the black community as well. So like there was this society formed called the Blue Vein Society, where if you couldn't see the blue, if you couldn't see blue veins under their armpits, oh you considered yeah, you were like you weren't allowed in the society, and they used the paper bag test, where if your skin was darker than the paper bag you weren't allowed in um which just created so much segregation within the black community Mm. itself so it's like not even white people inflicting it on the black community it's like within the community yeah Yeah. and you wanted to talk about uh horizontal hostility didn't you yeah so like i think a lot of the time because i'm i am a mixed race person um and often when i'm walking down the street if a stranger sees me they're like oh that girl is black Mm. but if I were to say I'm a black person, that can cause offence to some people. Like, I've I've been told, like, that it can cause offence. Like, some people are fine with it, some people aren't, mm. sort of thing. So I feel like when you're mixed race, you're kind of always, like, on this, like, edge. Like, oh, like, where do I fit? Because I'm not quite black, but I'm not quite white. But white people don't really, like, no. If I went up to someone and I was like, oh, I'm white, they'd be like, are you crazy? if I went up to someone and I was like oh I'm black they'd probably be like yeah you are yeah um, it's like the one drop rule still exists today in yeah. 2021 that's crazy yeah. I remember you telling me because you were talking to me about it Elle and you were saying like there's like a prediction and like, like I don't know how long but pretty much most people will be of mixed race mm. and I feel like at this current moment in time it's so cut and dry about like yeah. where you belong and what race and what ethnicity you belong to whereas mm. like you know, we all originate from the same, um, from from Africa and all of these things. And I think that... Um, mm. Like at the time that a... race started like being used to segregate people, it was very clear who was black and who was white. Yeah. But now with like globalization and like colonialism, like there's, it's so, so intertwined. And now there's not just Europeans and Africans. There's, you know, we know about indigenous people, Latin America and Asia, Australasia. Like it's just, I think it's the definitions like it just needs to be yeah. reconsidered because it just doesn't Definitely. fit modern society. I think like the thing with race is it's something so personal to that person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everyone has a different view on on race and like what race is to de- them and I think everyone ha- like no one has the same definition of racism. Mm. Mm. Um 
because everyone's everyone especially if you're from the BAME community everyone's had different experiences so that's shaped the way that they view race so like the way that I view race is most likely very different to my brother and we've mm. grown up in the same area where we're, we're both we're both mixed race but we've just had different experiences so what the problems that we see are, are very different and we're, we're both people who are very passionate about race mm. but um, if you talk to us we both have very different things to say and we don't actually agree on everything mm. so I think like race is something really difficult to kind of pinpoint and 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 talk about when you're when you're talking about the specifics because mm. when you're talking about the specifics with different people they're going to be different yeah yeah that's so true you know. do you want to talk about skin lightening yeah so skin lightening is is a really well i think i personally think it's a problem mm. um because it's so dangerous it's so expensive to actually in the uk get proper skin lightening products so often people will just go for the cheaper option especially if you're younger yeah if you're a younger young person you're not going to have a lot of money you're more insecure as well you're gonna you're more likely you're to more yeah by society. so mm. you're gonna get the cheaper ones and those the cheap ones are so dodgy like <laughs> there's no, no other word <laughs> there's no other word for it i've seen documentaries and stuff on it but there's there's not a um, there's not enough public information about skin lightening, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know about it until I, like, I didn't did my research. I didn't know if it was, like, yeah. it was a big thing in England. It, no. it, it, like, you, in, um, in most big cities and in, in shops, you can, you'll find skin lightening products. It is illegal, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's illegal, yeah. but... Is it sort just, of, like, know, under the covers? Everyone gets away with it, kind yeah. of thing. It's sort of, like, not... Um, it's, it's not illegal, to, sorry, it's not illegal to lighten your skin, but a lot of the p- products that are sold... Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...are... Because they have illegal. Really, what's that harmful? Kind of? Um. So a lot of skin lightening products contain hydroquinone. <laughs> I hope I got that right. Yeah. Um. Of the chemistry nerd can testify. Steroids. <laughs> and mercury. Mercury. That's, that's really. Mm-hmm. You can get like Queen Elizabeth used mercury to lighten yeah. her skin, and she got like mercury infections. Really. Of, like, you can get your, cancer, your, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Your skin like falls off. Mm. Um. So they can. Yeah. But we're still skin living in the era. Uh huh. With people using mercury to lighten so, their skin. Yeah. God. And and the thing is, it's not very well, you know, because because the thing is, the people who's who it's affecting when so when people put these products on their skin, they can get liver, nerve, fetal damage. Um, they can burn their skin off. But the yeah. thing is, it's not talked about and it's not widely known because it's happening to black girls, mm. and in the media, in. It, with so many examples so for example R. Kelly yeah. the way he was the, he, the, he was a, a predator and everyone knew it the people he victimised were predominantly black girls and he got away with it for decades and the reason for that is because it was happening to black girls and the, the media doesn't report it doesn't cover it because it's almost like giving the message that they don't really care yeah and it's really it's really upsetting and um, what would be the reaction if it was white girls who were um, having to dealing with something that's yeah like if, like if, if, like, if, if they if, have that chapter on like if like ima- like they had basically they described like the phenomenon that's eating disorders with teenage girls and how but they switched it around so it was young men mm-hmm. and you read it and you're like horrified but then she says actually this is going on with teenage girls it's like you can it's you can you, it's almost that like in, if it was going on with white girls everyone would be or white boys it would be 
god like hitting every newspaper headlines yeah yeah well if white girls were getting onto tanning beds and burning their skin off that would yeah they are but we know they are we know and everyone talks about how yeah how bad it is yeah yeah, but no one really knows about skin lightening cream. Mm-hmm. No, Asia has the lightest, largest market for lightening creams in the world, mm. and um, the, some research conducted by the Matrimonial website found that three northern states in India, skin tone was the most important criteria when choosing a partner. How damaging is that? Gosh. Yeah, um, I want to talk about Latin America because I'm Latin American. Um, so in Mexico and in many Latin American countries there's an obvious absence of darker skinned people in telenovelas commercial and in the great general media and a study conducted on six Spanish language telenovelas and three Spanish network channels in the US found that light skinned actors were more likely to be cast as the protagonist and they were fitter, younger and more likely to be upper class than their darker counterparts so darker characters I, I mean I'm Brazilian so I grew up watching a lot of um, Brazilian TV shows and the darker characters are usually portrayed as the gardener, the cook or the maid. So my favourite TV show growing up was Siege of the Picapau Amarelo. I loved it but <laughs> now, I literally only thought about this today because I was doing my research for the episode and I like reflected on it and the only black characters in the in the show are Tia Anastasia, Chiubahra Bear and Sassi. So Tia Anastasia is the maid and Chiubahra Bear is a r- rural farmer who lives with the family because Donna Bentha's like charitable and good and she lets them stay with she lets him stay with them. And Sassi is a cunning, naughty character who's always causing chaos. He only has like one foot and he like hops around causing like just uproar in the town. It's, mm. it's, it's like a really it's a kids TV show but you can see how kids growing up with this leads them to like have harmful, harmful stereotypes about darker skinned black people and black people in general because it's not even like colorism. This is just overt racism. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we could talk about colorism in film and media. Yeah, I think I think it's so damaging. Mm. And I think the my personal opinion is that the media has a lot to answer for so for true. the self esteem, confidence, and just general biases mm. that we see in society today. Because we we are grown up, we grow up in a world where well in this country we do um where you're put in front you know you're given books to learn about the world you're you watch tv shows to learn about the world you see films to learn about the world you look at the news to learn about the world everything pretty well not everything but a lot of the things we learn about the world we learn from the media and we spend so long consuming it we spend all day consuming it on our phones and you know most things that my friends will tell me about what's going on in the world they will have picked up Mm -hmm. from social media um and i think that they've done a lot of damage Mm -hmm. um personally for me like i i think that um when there are stereotypes about a certain group of people and the only time you see that group of people portrayed they're shoved into this stereotype Mm -hmm. you're going to start thinking that everyone from that group should should be behaving like that and if they're not they're not normal so for me what really bothers me is the the black best friend Mm. um stereotype so like personally i I, sometimes i have to tell myself jessica stop it just take a minute and stop because i'll do stuff 
and I'll just do it because I'm like I always have to I always have to make sure that um I'm not thinking about myself and just doing stuff for my friend and and if I'm not I'll feel incredibly guilty mm. like she always like the black best friend always lets the white girl get the, the like boy. the yeah. get the boy yeah and the she job. just like yeah the job she like does her whole like sole purpose is serving her right. best friend exactly mm. and you know you should obviously do stuff for yeah. other people but there's a balance mm. Mm. I think also like the fact that a lot of um kids who are watching like you I know you wanted to bring up things like High School Musical and yeah. like 10 Things I Hate About You these are like younger kid TV shows like if mm. you're a child a white child mm. growing up and and you're seeing this you're, you're going to be impacted by mm. it and so it's true. a primitive years where you're like trying to recollect things and you're trying to understand how the world works around you if you're exposed to the same stereotype of the same the same race then you're going to start thinking especially if you live in like particularly I don't know the word sheltered but like in a very white wealthy yeah. privileged community and you're not exposed to other people and you don't live in a multicultural um, mm-hmm. town or, or, or place where you ever, wherever you live it's even more damaging I completely agree yeah. with Jess yeah. no so like like in Latin America how we see so much colorism and racism in the in like lack of representation i'd say in the media you have things like there's literal it's like a term that people use called mejorar la raza and it's like you marrying someone of a lighter skin tone like a lighter complexion um is like it, mejorar la raza basically translates to bettering your race oh. and it's like mm. people try and like marry people who are whiter than them or lighter than them to have lighter babies and I've seen this so much in my own family which horrifies me like babies will be born and it's like a dark darker skinned mother and a lighter skinned father for example and they'll be like wow the baby took after his, her father so well I'm so glad she's so light she's so fair and it's like an, a positive thing that's the first thing they'll talk about when the baby's born or like oh she didn't I'm so glad she didn't get her mum's like wide nose or something it's awful genuinely saddens me so much and I know we wanted to talk about like beauty standards and like Eurocentric western beauty Mm. standards and I think what we're talking about in terms what you guys are talking about in terms of like this sort of desirability for people to appear as white as possible stems from white supremacy Mm. and that the default and the idealization is to be white and be Eurocentric and we see in the media people who aren't white we're constantly comparing them against yeah. white people yeah and yeah. there's just it's never going to be this it's not going to add up mm. it it's really really sad it really it really saddens me mm. Mm. and i do i just i wish that people like these film companies and stuff would start taking more responsibility for the mm. effects that they're actually having I don't, I don't know whether it's because they don't understand or whether because they just don't want to talk about it, but it's, it's really difficult for young people from black, Asian or minority ethnic backgrounds to grow up with this narrative about themselves that's wrong. And, and you know, you shouldn't even have a narrative about, you shouldn't have a narrative um, about your ethnic group you should have such a diverse range of ways of um, presenting people that you don't need to like say that there's this narrative for this race yeah. you know it's so so sad and um, I think um, I, I, lo- I love watching Disney films for example mm. 
but you know some of them now have to have race racism warnings at the start of them because yeah, of yeah. their blatant racism didn't disney have like a whole thing where they i can't remember exactly didn't they name one of their tv characters after like a segregation law like oh, Jim, Jim yeah, Crow. yeah yeah that was yeah. dumbo and it was meant to be funny yeah um, oh and like have they um, just put in the race warnings like yeah, in the last few years they've started. Yeah, but it's I I don't feel like it was massive news when they started doing that. It was quite like Dr. Seuss as well. Like cast had Dr. Seuss so racist, had so many racist cartoons. They've just started. and even within his books, like all the black people were portrayed as like monkeys in his books. Yeah. And these are books that I grew up reading. Mm-hmm. And it's not just books that um we grow up reading for fun it's books that we study in school yeah you know so like true. how many books have mice been and men put, yeah mice and men <laughs> so how many books have been put in front of you that have had the n-word in and then i, I don't know, know what your Macanel. teacher said about it in Macanel, i i was like um she asked this is a play that Elle's doing just yeah. for the yeah. context <laughs> yeah there was like um she asked me to read a boy in our class's lines for him and it said the n-word in and i was like really? she didn't like they didn't block it out or anything you can't like that's so triggering for some people and like offensive and why should um 14 year olds be because that's how you're 13 or 14 when when you do of mice and men mm. yeah, I was 13. why are you that young doing a book that's got such a triggering word in it it's unnecessary yeah. and they won't understand the context behind it either yeah and when the and teachers say you can say it in a literary context that's wrong it's not no. true my my aunt said something that's like really stayed with me she said um with the n-word um, she said, whenever you're having a conversation about race or you're, you're just talking in general and that word comes up, the person you're talking to or the per- people who hear, the only thing they will take away from what's been said is that word. Yeah. That's the only thing they'll take away. Mm. Even, even if you were like, you know, doing some activism and you were like just quoting something that someone said, you use that word that's the only thing people are going to remember. Mm. It just takes so much power away from what you're saying. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with that word. Like, it takes power away because it's known to be so racist that Mm. people will just focus on that word. Mm. So when you say it, you've immediately just taken all the power and meaning Mm. away from what you're saying. And all that's left is just that word with all its negative connotations. That's so true. And I feel like people need to be... I feel like if people were more educated on the origins of that word and why it is so offensive, they wouldn't want to say it. Like, when you hear white people being like, oh, can I have the N-word The, pass? the pass, I did. Oh, shut up. It really you know? is. And if people genuinely knew the awful things that are connotated towards... Is that how you say it? Connotated? Yeah. By that word. Like, the connotations of that word... If they knew the history of it, if they knew how people used to use it, they would never want to say something like that, if they had a moral conscience. Um, I also just wanted to talk about, you know, the natural hair movement mm. and how important that is for, for women from Black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds. So for me, I came across it about four years ago, mm. and it's really, like, changed the way that I... It's It's what started me really on my on my road to kind of learning more about race and thinking more about race and and um it's given me a lot of confidence in in um in my life and i think that hair it sounds silly but it is very important important. because it's 
it's a statement it, it gives you power and like when you when you have hair that you like you just feel so good about yourself mm. Mm, that's so true and especially like with the black community there's like mm. so many histories behind it like when white people just wear like cornrows and stuff black women like black slaves used to put rice, rice. plait rice into mm. their hair didn't so they that... even like braid Maps. the path yeah. the maps yeah. to yeah. escape the slavery yeah so that if their children got lost they could like have food in their hair and maps to, like and maps to find safety mm. um and there's so much history behind it especially with black people like there's such a stigma around it as well in my family it's always like oh she think i'm in like she has bad quote-unquote bad hair it's just it's a term that's thrown around yeah. and it's normalized yeah i feel like it's if you have natural curly hair or like afro hair you realize how much it like it, it's impactful and mm. i don't think that people with um straight like european hair really yeah. notice that yeah it's i think it's something that isn't really understood at the moment i think it's on its way mm. to being understood but it's at as it stands it's not you know um when hair is different and you know like it's straight or it's curly those are two different types of hair so they're going to work in different ways mm. so when you have like a school uniform yeah with a with a code about hair um it can often just be a bit offensive to people because you know for example um i remember so clearly being at school and i wore my hair down once um when i was in lower school and um uh the t- one of the teachers said put your hair up it's so distracting why have you got your hair down put it up it's it's too distracting and it's everyone else it's so me. beautiful because <laughs> jess is the most beautiful girls in the world everyone's just mesmerized oh. <laughs> everyone around me had their hair down as well like all my friends did and i, I you know i'd worn my hair down because i just wanted to be like my friends but it was too distracting and i don't know i just think it's really damaging when you yeah. when you tell kids that kind of thing when they're that young Mm. That their hair's too distracting, but they're wearing it down just like everyone else. Mm. So you're in immediately kind of putting negative connotations to them wearing their hair down, and it is a big thing to wear your to wear your natural hair. So I found um, so much empowerment in it, and yeah. I think like having like seeing people that you can look up to. Like find, when I became friends with Jess, I became so much more confident, and like I understood my hair type so much more because I finally had. A and you had like a similar curl pattern to me or like even at my like at my old school I love my old friends like if you're listening to this mwah, love you love you guys but they like had very different hair types to me mm. and they all had like European straight hair mm. and um like we'd go to parties and stuff and get ready together and like obviously knew nothing about it but I feel like seeing people in the media or even like having friends who have a similar like natural hair to you it makes you embrace it so much more and not mm. feel like you need to straighten it to fit yeah. in yeah because I feel like straightening has been a big problem. Mm. Well, not a problem. Problem is the wrong word because it's not a problem. But I think that Something's relaxing your hair. Yeah. Yeah. I think that should be an age restriction. I know this might be controversial, but I do think there should be an age restriction on it mm. because it's, it's damaging. damaging. It's very damaging, and it's. A I know so many people who regret yeah, it. Yeah, it's a big decision to make because you're gonna once you've done it, it's very hard to get your curl get, get your curl packed and back. And I just think, um, I don't know. I just I think there should be an age restriction. Like maybe you should be sixteen before you can do it. I know I know some people listening might be like, that's really controversial. That's just what I think because I think a lot of people 
they relax their hair because they feel they have to, not because mm. they want to, mm. or because society's pressuring them into this this unattainable image of yeah. you know being like a, a Western Westernized kind mm. of image, and it's impossible to obtain. Mm. But if it feels like you're you're getting closer by mm. relaxing your hair, I don't. I mean, I respect people who do it, but I just think that you it's a massive decision to make mm. and it's not treated as a as a big decision yeah. and you know like people really young people get there like, yeah i think it kind of links with what you want to talk about jess i know about like the modeling industry and like mm. how they hire black models and models who have like curly hair and like the um i guess the hair technicians not knowing how to style curly hair yeah and how that forms problems in itself yeah because like it just makes it feel like when 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 people do stuff like that it just makes it feel like you've just gone right oh my gosh we've got to tick this off the list diversity right okay yeah right bring them in from the back and then oh gosh sorry our budget doesn't reach far enough Mm. like what kind of message are you sending to people if when they've come to work for you you haven't got the right provisions for them yeah yeah that's so true yeah yeah, it's like we'll just tick off the box, but we like they have no idea. I've seen so many stories about like models who just have to, they just get arrive and they get their hair straightened because they like they like they'll brush out their curls. Yeah, so many <laughs> like amateur <laughs> mistakes. My oh. mom, okay, so my I'm the only person in my immediate family. My my auntie and my granny, and my my granny and my great grand have very like quite kinky hair. Um, but my my immediate family all have very straight hair, so my mum growing up used to just brush my hair and put it in plaits. <laughs> so I can totally relate to these models who turn up and the people have no idea how to like look after their hair. I've seen so many of them just straighten their hair before going to shoots or um, Do they often do their hair themselves? Or no, I don't think so. I think your I hair think and makeup. Some people do. I don't know. I don't. I mean, know. I'm not. On I, I definitely not. I don't have the facts in front of me. I'm sure but, there's lots yeah. of stories. It would be interesting if anyone's listening, you could maybe yeah. go away after this and yeah. look into it. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I think I we should th- talk about intersectional feminism to wrap it up. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because I think that's where all of this links in, because we're so passionate about women and dismantling the patriarchy. So all of that is so heavily ingrained with mm. um, race and class and all of those things that we're passionate about, because... Um, like second wave feminism was very focused on white upper middle class women um, and it didn't really take into account the struggles that black women faced or mm. women from different countries or women like women of colour, mm. Asian women Latin women um, and disabled women and you know all the other marginalised women it was very focused on like I'm not saying that it's not important but whilst white, like, white western women were fighting for like, abortion rights and stuff there were many black women who still couldn't have the basic rights that they already had i think that um um what was i I mean it's obviously changing now because there's more recognition about the fact that we need um to talk more about intersectionality but i think one of the things um that i i kind of thought about quite recently is that um and this applies to everything not just feminism and it's not just for um people who are black asian or minority ethnic but if you can't see yourself in something so that could be a movie a movement a um a book Mm. music whatever 
um, if you can't see yourself represented in that thing, even if you're really, really, really interested in it, mm. you end up with this disengagement to it and mm. detachment from it. And you, just because you can't see yourself mm. doing that thing. So, you know, when you read a book, you think of the protagonist, but you're actually putting yourself into the protagonist's shoes. Yes, but if the protagonist is always someone who couldn't be you, then it's impossible for you to become engaged mm. in that thing. So, you know, for example, um, well, let's just use a simple Enola Holmes, the movie, right? Mm. Um, was, I, I think it was quite white feminist. Very quite funny. Um, because yeah, they had a token black person in yeah. there. If you if you if you have a film that's about feminism, um, and you put one black person in one role and the rest of the film is completely white, you've mm. just put that black person there to tick a quota. Yeah. You haven't done it because you're being like more modern and it made me feel like when I watched the film I was like it was a good film but like I don't really feel like mm, I don't feel like it offered anything to Mm, me I don't feel like amazed at the Mm. message that it's kind of brought because I don't feel like it really applied to me at all yeah Mm. and you know that that for me applies to everything and I recognize it more now because I used to feel so guilty when I'd be you know in my history class learning about yet again more white history (laughs) and after a while you just get to the point where I'm like where you're just like I'm really bored of this Mm. and the reason is because you can't see yourself in that place Mm. so you know intersectionality is so important in feminism because feminism needs to to reach out to all women it's not just about one group it's not just about middle class white women Mm. it's about everyone every woman no matter who you are shape race size uh, sexuality it doesn't matter feminism is for everyone and anyone yeah and that's why like in politics they're literally all old white conservative men yeah and it's so difficult to engage in something like that in, in, and in, they're making decisions for us yeah. yeah like i take politics a level and i sit through these documentaries and i'm like oh my god i literally can't wait for this lesson to be over and i love politics i'm such a political person yeah. but i just can't find myself engaged in stuff like yeah like that because it doesn't remotely resemble me yeah. so i totally get what you're saying i think that like intersectional feminism is it's so close to my heart because it just <laughs> because like I just, I love women so much and I love all women like all different kinds of women and I yeah. it's just so beautiful to see all different types of women uniting together yeah. for this one cause and it's just it honestly makes me really emotional yeah we should celebrate the, the yeah, diversity celebrate and instead of like trying to reach just like supposedly optimum beauty standard we should all just embrace because we're all bloody sexy diversity is the most beautiful thing about this world like wouldn't it be so boring if we went outside and everyone looked exactly the same yeah Yeah, it would that would be terrible that the best thing about the world that we live in is how different everyone is that's the best thing that's the most exciting thing and that's what brings fun and joy and happiness yeah like it's it brings the ups and downs to life and that is the best thing bella and i were talking how literally every single girl in our year group is 
gorgeous. Bloody gorgeous. Like, stunning mm. model material. And none <laughs> of us look the same. No. We all look different, and that's what makes us, like, mm. beautiful. Because there are so many people that have unique features. Yeah. And we literally all, like, we do this on the daily. We'll, like, go through lists of, like, all the girls that we think are gorgeous in our year. And, like, every single girl, there's not one girl in our year that I can pinpoint who isn't absolutely stunning. Like... Women, we're just so like men as well, but women are just <laughs> mainly women. So beautiful, and we need yeah. to acknowledge that because I feel like we're taught so much to be insecure. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Captainism. <laughs> but what a nice end, like end, positive yeah. note to end on. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so love, much, Jess, for coming. We loved your wisdom. We love, you we love so your perspective. Much. I hope I said stuff that like. I oh know, my god! So well very spoken. insightful. Very Can very you write a book. Do a TED talk. Right. Do a TED talk. I don't talk. think I'm Do a quite there yet, TED guys. Talk. You know? yes. TikTok TED talk. We'll start a YouTube yeah. channel, make a documentary about your life, write <laughs> a autobiography. Yeah, oh my gosh, today I just smashed my face. <laughs> that would be so interesting. Oh. Thank you so much, Jess. Oh, Thank thanks, you. Guys. Bye-bye. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and we really hope you enjoyed. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review, it really, really would mean a lot to us because it means our podcast gets recommended to other people. And hopefully a break won't be too short because we have lots of ideas that we want to create into podcast episodes for you guys. We're so excited to come back. You can keep updated on what we're doing and when we're coming back to the podcast on our Instagram at garrett.girls um, with a double R and a double T. So we hope to see you very, very soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.